Good evening. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you that in the midst of all that's going on in the world, we live in a country where we can gather and freely worship, and we pray for all of the turmoil in the world and places where freedom is not present. And we pray that you will continue to be with us in this community as we strive to be your hands and your feet and your ears and your eyes in this world where there's so much pain. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I found that it's very easy for me, maybe you could say the same thing, it's very easy for me to do what I've always been doing, to do the same thing. Have you ever been on autopilot driving home or driving to your office and you get there, you don't remember when you took the exit, you don't remember which turn you took, but you end up in your driveway or you end up in your parking lot for your job. I tend, as probably many of you, whoever frequents Starbucks, I get the same drink all the time. For those of you who are wondering, <laughs> it's a chai tea latte with 10 pumps of chai, 2% milk, and no water. But I get the same thing. In fact, the, what do you call them, baristas? They know, not only know my name, but they know my drink. I have over 8,000 songs on my Apple Music subscription playlist. And for some reason, that playlist plays the same songs over and over and over again. In every church that I've been uh, fortunate to pastor and in every church that I've attended, and now everyone is going to become really uh, um, concerned, but everyone sits in the same place all the time. In fact, they, the, the joke in the Lutheran church is that pastors take attendance by where everyone sits all the time in the same seats. It's easy for us to get comfortable. It's easy for us to get accustomed to the familiar and the well-known, which makes it easy for us to do the same thing, go to the same places, or even think the same thoughts about people and about places and about things. Because in those comfortable places, we are confident that things will turn out the way they have always turned out. We know what to expect. But if we want to make progress in our life, if we want to experience something new or understand something or someone that's familiar, but we want to understand them in a different way, we might need to step out of our comfort zone. And that's what my message is about today, stepping out of our comfort zone. The term comfort zone refers to those places and those issues we go to and the situations in which we feel safe. We feel safe. We feel content. We feel comfortable. We feel relaxed. We feel devoid of any serious risk. We feel free from any challenge to change in our comfort zone not wanting to risk failure or an embarrassment or even ridicule, we camp out in those, what I heard a philosopher call, those echo chambers. The echo chamber is a place where it's just bouncing the same thoughts and the same ideas off the wall. Nothing new is ever entered in the echo chamber where it's safe 
and we're with people who share the same opinions and we know the topics very well. Life in the comfort zone is really effortless. Life in the comfort zone is marked by ease and familiarity. It's a life of safety with an outcome that is secure and probably very predictable. But if we are afraid to take a risk, if we are scared to do something that is different, something that is unfamiliar, something that even frightens us, or that by doing, we might not know the outcome or be able to control the outcome, could we also be robbing ourselves of the reward of conversion, the reward of a transformation, the reward of experiencing something new in a different way? Our old mindsets, new location, new activity, a new person that could be brought into our life if we just step out of our comfort zones. As humans, it's natural to gravitate to our comfort zones, but to remain there indefinitely could leave us unfulfilled in our life. In our text, Jesus indirectly, the text that Lisa read for us today, Jesus indirectly addresses this issue of our comfort zone in this narrative, in this Gospel of Luke. The occasion of the narrative is a dinner party to which Jesus had been invited. And sharing bread really cr creates relationships. I was, I was performing a wedding uh, many years ago, and I asked a couple, and they were very well known in the community. I said, how did you decide who to invite to your wedding? And they said, we invited people who we shared a meal with in the last year. That narrowed the list down. You know, I have, I've said it before, but I have people, and I hope you're not one of them, <laughs> that I send Christmas cards to every year, but I don't talk to them until next Christmas. I have no connection with them until the next Christmas. That's not a relationship, you know? But people that I have relationship with, I speak with them on a regular basis. And, and, and sharing bread, sharing a meal, uh, creates a relationship. Meals are essential in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts because Luke wrote Acts as well. And they are as much a part of feeding the body as they are a part of feeding the soul. And we're not told if Jesus was the guest of honor at this dinner. But the other guests played, if you listen to the story as Lisa was reading, they played this really interesting social game of musical chairs with everyone attempting to get what they believe to be the best seat in the house. And at first glance, when you're reading the text, Jesus seems to be simply giving instructions on the proper guest protocol or seating arrangements at a wedding and telling this parable about good manners and proper table etiquette. But when you read the text a little bit deeper, when you examine it a little bit deeper, you discover that Jesus really provides us and he provides them with more than just advice and suggestion about polite practices when you have a guest at your house. Jesus offers more than just polite 
um, instructions on how to host an event. The instructions that Jesus gives in this text is not only intended for our social living, but Jesus really intended it to help to shape our spiritual life as well. And Jesus explains a truth about entrance into the realm of God, entrance into the kingdom of God through not pride, not through what we have acquired, but through humility. And by recognizing that according to biblical standards, we gain entrance into the family of God, not through what we are and who we are, but through what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. By grace, we're saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus' dinner invitation to this party came from a most unlikely source, a leader of the Pharisees who probably possessed prestige. This person probably possessed prominence and privilege and power. And Scott Hosey, in his commentary on Matthew chapter 5, he points out that the Pharisees are the quintessential bad guys of the gospel. No single group proved more difficult for Jesus than the Pharisees. No faction appeared less moved by Jesus than the Pharisees. The word Pharisee really means someone who is separate. The Pharisees were known for their different lives. Robert Capon once wrote, it's hard not to picture the Pharisees as wearing black hats and twirling their mustaches like the outlaws in some Hollywood melodrama of the Old West. In the scriptures, even the people who are possessed by evil spirits come out looking better than the Pharisees. At least the demon possessed recognized Jesus for who he was. At least Jesus was able to cast them out and turn them around. But the Pharisees, they just kept digging in their heels and they kept on refusing to believe in Jesus. And so throughout the gospel, the Pharisees keep coming up like a harmful burp. <laughs> The reason they are so sour is because the Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat to the legalism they had developed. They saw Jesus as a threat to, um, to um, tearing down this status, status of control, this status that you earn your salvation. You see, the Pharisees had the hopes of the years in the law. They believed that you could earn your salvation. They believed that you could be, uh, if you followed the Torah to the letter of the law, that was the way you would earn your salvation. They studied the law. They taught the law. And above all, they claimed to live by the law. And the Pharisees went over and above what anyone else did in religion, which caused them to look down upon other people caused them to feel like, like they were better off than other people, that they were holier, that they were more spiritual than everyone else. They, they filled them with self-righteous, sanctimonious, pompous pride. That's what the Pharisees were. I'm so glad, I am so glad that there are no more Pharisees in the church today, aren't you? <laughs> Luke chapter 18 Jesus distinguishes the Pharisees to the tax collector. And the tax collector, the ones that were usually viewed as the evil ones, came off looking good compared to the Pharisees. 
And when Jesus pointed out the difference between the Pharisees and the tax collector, the tax collector was expecting to be the one that was looked upon as the cheat. But the tax collector was one looked upon as the one who had humility. Jesus had a growing reputation as a prophet. And so maybe that was the reason that the leader of the Pharisees, of all people, would invite Jesus to dinner. But given the history Jesus had with the Pharisees and how harshly he had been known to speak of them, one could ask, why a Pharisee? And why would they invite Jesus into their home? Was it a trap? Was it a setup? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that concerning the people that you and I encounter in the world? The people that you and I possibly invite to church or attempt to share our faith with, or people that have attempted to invite you to church and share their faith with you. Have you ever considered what they might be thinking? I consider that when people invite me to church that I know, at least I think I know, I know you don't like me, so why are you inviting me to your church? I, you don't, I know you don't like my race, you don't like my people, you don't like anything. Why would you invite me to your church? Why did this Pharisee invite Jesus? Why do we invite people to church? Why do people invite us to church? Why are they sharing their faith with us? Why do we share our faith with them? The invitation to the dinner came from a prestigious leader, a Pharisee that really looked down on Jesus, didn't care less about Jesus, didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And yet this person invited Jesus to the church. It's probably safe to assume that the guest list for this Pharisee contained the who's who's of the people of the day. You know, the Rick Warren, the Joyce Myers, the T.D. Jakes, the Joel Osteens, the Noel Jones. It's here at this dinner party where Jesus takes the time to teach this lesson. And the lesson was directed to the host and each of us giving us the vision of what humility and the role that humility plays in the body of Christ. First of all, Jesus challenges us to consider if when we give to those who have the ability to reward or repay us in some way, what kind of blessing do we expect to get? If I'm giving to someone who has the ability to give me more back, I'm already getting my blessing. Has that taken me out of my comfort zone to give to someone who has the ability to give something back to me? Or am I just making a self-centered investment? You know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. The giving of self that Jesus seems to be trying to teach them involves sacrifice. If I have 10 coats and I give one, I haven't sacrificed. If I have one coat and I give that one, then I've sacrificed. It's giving of self that causes us to move out of our comfort zone. It's engaging with only those, if we engage with only those who are able to pay us back, have we really stepped out of our comfort zone? 
People who walk like our walk and talk like we talk or live in the way we live or give or have the things that we, have we really been stretched? Have we really been encouraged to step out of our echo chambers or, or another philosopher call them epistemic bubbles? <laughs> you know, everything is just the same. It's just bound. You know, if, if, if I'm of, of a particular party, I watch Fox News. If I'm another party, I watch MSNBC. And MSNBC is going to say everything that that party wants to hear, just like Fox News is going to say everything that that party wants to hear. So am I being stretched? Am I being challenged in any way? Next, by using the guest list in the seating arrangement, Jesus addresses the issue of pride and humility. He said, choosing a seat or a place of honor for ourselves when we are invited to a party is the equivalent of craving the attention, craving to be in our comfort zone. It's, it's still true today that the best seats are those that's what? Nearest to the host. You know, if, if I'm sitting next to the host of honor, then I'm, I'm somebody special. <laughs> I'm important. And those seats are usually reserved for the people who have connections. You know, oh, he knows, she knows, they know that person. It's impressive. It's essential. It's reserved for those who are entitled. Seating arrangements at social events can be problematic. And seating arrangements, even in the church, can be complicated. God forbid that someone would sit in somebody else's seat. I promise you, I've been at churches where people have fought about people sitting in their seat. Now, this might be a true story, but I hope it is not. After a, a charter member at the first evangelical free Christian church, I, that's a church I just made up, <laughs> told a visitor, <laughs> to get out of the seat, out of the pew that their family had purchased, the senior pastor sent a letter to the members of the congregation regarding Sunday morning seating arrangements. And this is what the letter read. Their members, many of you have heard and probably have expressed concerns over the unfortunate incident which occurred last Sunday in which a charter member asked the visitor to move from their seat. As a result, the Board of Elders, Trustees, and the Church Council have voted to place the following seating arrangements, which will be effective next Sunday. To secure your desired seat, please complete the enclosed survey and return it to the church office by Wednesday. Question number one. I would prefer to sit in the talking, whispering section or the non-talking section. If you have selected the talking section, which subcategory would you prefer? Sports, gossip, aches and pains, stock markets, or politics? Question number two, which of the following professionals would you like to be seated next to? You might obtain free advice, an attorney, a physician, a CPA, a beautician, a stockbroker. Question, I want to be seated number three. I want to be seated near my in-laws. 
far from my in-laws, very far from my ex-in-laws. Question number four, I desire to be seated in an out-of-view area where I can sleep during the sermon, exit quickly at the time of the offering, or be the first person to drink from the communion cup. The final question was, I prefer not to be seated next to, and fill in the blank, seating arrangements at social events can be tricky. And I tell you, seating arrangements at churches can even be problematic. And so in examining the guest list and the seating arrangements, Jesus took this opportunity to address the issue of pride and of humility. Jesus said, by choosing the preferred seat or the place of honor, it's prideful. And it's the equivalent of craving out or carving out that comfort zone. I deserve to be treated like this. I deserve to be recognized. It's still true today that the best seat in the house is the one nearest to the host, closest to the action, up front and center, reserved for the most popular, the most prominent, the most prestigious person that is there. We deserve the best of the best seat in the house because the view is better and it makes us feel that we are privileged, that we are entitled, that we're superior, that we're essential. But notice what Jesus says in verse 7. Jesus gives them some advice about self-promotion. Jesus gives them some advice about staying out of their comfort zone. You see, whether it's a, it's a private party or a political event or prayer meeting, limiting our guest list to only people who are clones of ourselves, with whom we're comfortable, who doesn't threaten our thinking, who doesn't challenge our worldview, only keeps us in our comfort zone. I'm Republican and I only talk to Republicans I'm never going to learn anything about Democrats. If I'm Democrat and I only talk to Democrats, I'm never going to learn anything about Republicans or independents. If I'm straight and I only talk to straight people, I'm never going to learn anything about someone who's gay or transgender. I'm in my comfort zone. Preach, Kenneth. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> In my 30 years of ordained ministry in the Lutheran church, I never wanted to pastor an all-black church. Well, if I did, I wouldn't be in a Lutheran. <laughs> By the same token, I never wanted to pastor an all-white church, an all-educated church, an all-heterosexual or homosexual church, a poor or rich church, a young and contemporary church, an old traditional church. I never wanted to pastor a church of all Republicans, all Democrats, all independents, all progressives, all liberals, all conservatives. I've always wanted to be a part of a, a faith community where the people of God have had the revelation of God, of the radical grace of God's belonging to all people. I always wanted to be a part of a church where the members and the guests leave scratching their head, asking how in the world do they do community together? 
How can they be multi-ethnic and multi-racial and multicultural, intergenerational, economically diverse and varying in their abilities? How can they be steeped in liturgy yet flowing in the Holy Spirit? How? I've always wanted to pastor a faith community where people are okay with saying, I don't know. I believe, but help my unbelief. I've always wanted to pastor a faith community where people are willing to live by faith in the tension of the uncertainty of unanswered prayers, unresolved conflicts, unsettled questions. A community of believers where people are not afraid because of some traditional theological stand or political pragmatism or cultural conformatism or legalistic legalism to say that I am going to wrestle with the tension of the grace of God that is extended to all people. I'd like to say tonight that I found that church here, Bethel, Encino, Lutheran Church, where we wrestle with the complex tension between our comfort zone and God's radical grace to everybody. We're people who are challenged with mental health feel comfortable. We're people who have been divorced feel comfortable. We're people who are struggling with addictions feel comfortable. Where someone with AIDS or HIV or COVID or monkeypox or whatever can feel comfortable coming in this place. Where a single parent can feel comfortable. Where someone who's gay, non-binary, transgender can feel comfortable. That's the kind of community I've always wanted to be a part of. People of every sexual orientation, as we said in our, in our welcome. Not just the up and coming, but the down and outs. Everybody needs the grace of God. I'm not saying this because I want you to think like I think or I want you to believe like I believe. But when we focus our evangelism, when we focus our outreach on only attracting a certain kind of people or a certain category or a particular demographic in our faith community, all we are doing is staying in our comfort zone. And then the question becomes, is this gospel message just for me, my four, and no more? Or is it for someone else? Those who are different than us. Let me close with this question. When we reach out and we invite people, even those whose views or who we view as other, we live, we look, we talk, and vote differently than that person. That person who may even make us feel uncomfortable. God can use those differences to bring awareness. God can use those differences to bring blessing. God can use those differences to bring about growth and to bring about the transformation that God wants to make in your life and in my life. Let's pray.
God, we thank you today that you call us as you call those, as Jesus called those who were gathered at that dinner to step out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's someone of a different race. Maybe it's someone of a different sexual orientation. Maybe it's someone of a different socioeconomic status. Maybe it's someone of a different gender. Maybe it's a Palestinian or a Jew. Maybe it's an African or an Asian. Maybe it's a European. Maybe it's a Native American. God, you're constantly challenging us to step out of our comfort zone and, and share this love and grace that you profess in scripture to all people. Thank you for that challenge. We accept the mission. In Jesus' name, amen.